0: Hello everyone, welcome to Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura and I'm just delighted to bring you an episode of the podcast, continuing our conversation about narcissism in the workplace. And this episode is on how to handle narcissistic personalities on the job. This topic is very important because narcissism and the behaviors around it can impact All of us in different ways. And I came across the wonderful opportunity to speak to a wise, experienced, uh, prolific and talented author, professor, and I would say guru in this space, uh, Dr. Nina Brown, who is a professor at Old Dominion University uh, in Virginia. She has studied the effects of narcissism on relationships for much of her career. She's the author of more than 40 books on group therapy and narcissism, including Working with the Self-Absorbed and Whose Life Is It Anyway?, and coping with infuriating, mean, and critical people. So, all these topics of, of how to deal with difficult people in our working lives. And again, I'm just honored and thrilled to have you here today, Nina.
1: Thank you very much for those kind of words. And I'm just thrilled to be here and to be talking to you. This is a wonderful way to get out information to a large number of people of how they can help themselves. So uh, thank you for doing that and for inviting me.
0: Well, thanks for all you're doing to contribute to to the world and the world of work in particular. Um, And this is the book uh, called Working with the Self-Absorbed, which I have read and I highly recommend. And uh, Nina, can you tell us a little bit first about yourself and what led you to specialize in narcissism? And then we'll talk a little bit more about this book as well.
1: (laughs) Okay, uh, I'm asked that a lot. How did I get into this? What brought me to study this topic of narcissism? Well, what precipitated it was trying to deal with a department chair. I work at a university. And for some reason, this particular department chair, I could not get along with no matter what I did. I tried real hard. I chastised myself for not being better. Uh, I tried to figure out what it was that I was doing that was so objectionable to this person. And nothing worked. And of course, I was extremely frustrated. Then I went to a faculty meeting and happened to mention, this was a department meeting. And I happened to mention to everyone sitting around the table that I talked with the chair the day before, and it was so frustrating that I got a headache. Had to go home, take some medication, and lie down. Every single person sitting around that table said, "I always get a headache when I talk to the chair." Yeah, that's that was my reaction. Is it? Uh, this isn't just me. If other people are experiencing this, there is something else. So I started trying to research it and figure out what it could be so that maybe I could figure out how I could make it better for myself. I wasn't gonna try to fix anybody else. I just wanted to make it better for me. And I came across Otto Kernberg's um, book on borderline and narcissistic personality disorders. And as I started reading it, I said, "Hmm." And the reaction to interactions with someone who has the narcissistic personality disorder is often what I was experiencing: feeling devalued, feeling inadequate, feeling frustrated. Feeling angry and not knowing where that anger came from and not being able to let go of it. And so then I just started reading and reading and reading and listening more and delving in deeper as to what might this be. And that led me to writing about a destructive narcissistic pattern of behaviors and attitudes. Now, this is not someone who necessarily has a diagnosed NPD, but it's what a friend of mine called a subclinical category, and it could be even extended to everyday life. So it, it these are some behaviors and attitudes that might be reflective of some of those for NPD. But they're less they're fewer and they're less intense. But they have some of the same impact on others. And once I understood, back to my story, if I got it here. Once I kind of understood a little bit more about what might have been going on, I found that it didn't bother me nearly as much, and that I was able to cope better. And so through the years, I've added to that with experiences from other people, with more research. And yeah, I do believe that there are everyday manifestations of destructive narcissistic behaviors and attitudes that cause difficulties in relationships. And uh, mostly we don't know what to do with it. So I continue to smile. That's a long story for how I got into this. I hope it wasn't too long.
0: No, and it, it's it's interesting that, that you were impacted and you decided to explore, understand, and then share those learnings with others. And I think that is so powerful. So I want to ask you, and I, I like, uh, Nina, how you talk about it's narcissistic behaviors. And I'm wondering about the the whole diagnosis of, of labeling someone a narcissist or not, um, and, and what percent of people are in that category? And do you even view it as a category or more of a continuum?
1: Well, there are two things that I would say in response to that. One is that I try to resist ever calling anyone a narcissist who hasn't been officially diagnosed as having a narcissistic personality disorder. I know that it's all in the media today and people throw the term around a lot. and. It's probably, probably be helpful to people to be able to put a term out there that seems to be understood by everyone. But I like to think of it, and, and the way I write about it, is that narcissism is defined by people from self-psychology uh, and object relations therapy. This is self-esteem, and it's something that it, you have from the time, so it for me, it goes on a container, which is age-appropriate to pathological, and everywhere in between. And Maybe I can give you a quick example of what I mean by that, by age-appropriate. Think of a two-year-old who is invincible, who knows everything, can do everything. They're endearing Um, and they have tantrums and they want what they want, when they want it and how they want it without without having to tell you what it is that they want. Now, in a two-year-old, you can stand it. You can't stand it in a 40-year-old. But we do run into those people and all the way up to old age who have the same behaviors and attitudes. I want what I want. I want it now. have. You better give it to me. And you should know what it is. I don't, want, I don't even need to tell you what it is. You just want to intuit it. And they will have tantrums and call people names. And it's like I say, it's not so endearing in a 40 year old. But if you look at it, it's kind of the same set of behaviors as you would see in a two-year-old or five-year-old. And so according to the object relations theorists, you continue to grow and develop in your sense of yourself and your narcissism, which is self-esteem. And it becomes what they end up. Following it is healthy adult narcissism. So, healthy adult narcissism would be in contrast to the narcissistic personality disorder. And so, what we're all trying to work toward, hopefully, is healthy adult narcissism.
0: Okay. And I I like the way you frame that, that we're all on a continuum and we all have the ability to be healthy adult narcissists or. Um, some of us are more unhealthy, or at worst, destructive in the narcissistic tendencies. And I really want to dive a little bit into this book about working with the self-absorbed. And I found it really, really practical. It has lots of tips and strategies for whether someone is displaying destructive narcissism as your boss, or as one of your peers, or someone who works alongside or for you, and how you can you know, manage and, and set boundaries, et cetera. So can you tell us what led you to publish this book in particular um, and how much, the, how has the domain changed at all in the last 20 years since this came out?
1: Hey, I'm smiling because you asked me how I came to publish it, which is, <laughs> which is one of the things that I've been lucky about. And that is the publisher asked me to write the book. They thought that there could be a market for it. They asked me to write children of the self-absorbed and then working with the self-absorbed and then loving the self-absorbed. And it it seems to have struck a chord with most people that you're not necessarily dealing with pathological narcissism, but you may be dealing with some babies and attitudes that are destructive to relationships or troubling to relationships. And so that's how I got into it. And while the workplace has changed, and sort of changed in the past five years, I I don't know if the personalities have changed. I don't know that some of the behaviors have changed. That people are still being bullies, and people are still feeling inadequate, and they're feeling disenfranchised. Those kinds of things haven't changed. Um, the events have changed. The situations may have changed some, but the impact on the people, I don't think has changed.
0: Right. So what I'm hearing is a lot of these concepts still very much apply today compared to 20 years ago. And I think this this book is very timely. Um, and I've, I've been able to learn a lot from it myself. So thank you for putting out this into the world and the other series of, of your many, many books. And again, you write in a really engaging and practical way, because, you know, sometimes academics can be very <laughs> uh, wordy or cumbersome, or we call it in psychology, psychobabble, right? Uh, and you're not like that, Dr. Nina.
1: I was laughing because uh, I understand what you mean. And When you write for the, in the academic world, you do have to write that way. You do have to explain a lot. You do have to use a lot of citations. You can't just say anything on your own. You've got to have some authority to back you up, and you've got to point out what that authority is. And so, what I was trying to do was to make it much more practical for. People who are not in the academic world and try to explain it that way, and I'm delighted that you feel like that I, I halfway succeeded in doing that.
0: You you absolutely succeeded. Now, what I want to understand from your perspective is how do how do you see destructive narcissism narcissistic behaviors impacting workplaces and impacting cultures in organizations.
1: Well, it, it impacts it. It, it can even it, it can impact it by being by making the workplace toxic. It can it impacts individuals, and from the individuals, then it extends out to the whole group. Um, and what it does is makes the workplace less effective. And it makes the workers less effective because they don't feel appreciated, they don't feel heard and understood. And they feel that perhaps they're being undermined and undercut in some way. And then for many of the workers, if they were to complain about it, they don't get any satisfaction. And the reason they don't get any satisfaction it's usually because they can't explain what the people are doing that is producing this negative reaction to them. Because when you try to explain, you really don't have the words to adequately describe what the other person is doing. that's so troubling to you and to that relationship. And so it gets dismissed because... You don't have the words. The person you're talking to doesn't have the words and isn't understanding. And in addition to that, the person you're talking to may perceive the troubling person very differently than you do because they may present very different themselves very differently to this other person. So you lose. And you just stay stuck in misery. Like I was. I didn't know what was going on. Didn't know who to talk to. Didn't know how to explain it. I was just miserable.
0: And, and I can relate. I've experienced it in, in different settings. I've experienced it in the workplace. I've experienced it in volunteer committees and charity work. And when it happens, I think, I think it happens gradually. And I, I think you did a great job describing the common reactions to the destructive narcissist ranging from the initial period where you're charmed and you actually really like them and they come across, you know, as, as great um, people and they sell themselves well. So can you speak a little bit to that um, into, you know, how we can experience them at first versus as time goes on and those discomforts and frustrations mount?
1: Well, in the years since I first wrote that book, I've come to realize that uh, there may be different types. And the type that you're talking about is the one that seems to succeed. Because many of them do succeed. And they succeed in many different ways. In relationships and in the workplace career. And in a lot of things that they are involved with. The charmer, and and anyone who's been in a destructive relationship probably can relate to some of this. And that is, when you first meet them, you're the center of their universe. You're charmed because they're paying you so much attention. They're hanging on to your every word. They seem to like you, they're encouraging to you and they make you feel wonderful. They make you feel like you're valued. And it's only gradually that they start to pull away from that. And then what happens is that you try harder and harder to get back to what that relationship was at first where you felt wonderful. But the more you try, Further, they pull away, and so you start blaming yourself for not being good enough. And it it really isn't that; it's that that person is very shallow. Uh, they can't make commitments. They hop from relationship to relationship. They're looking for something that they think other people have, and at first with the relationship with you, they think they have it, or they may feel like, okay, I'm getting there. And then you start to not be as satisfying as you were in the beginning. And so they pull away, you keep trying to go after, they pull away even more, but then you're the one that ends up with all of the negative feelings. They walk away feeling good. That's the part that gets you, they walk away feeling.
0: So what, are there any warning signs that we can look out for in the early stage of whether it's a friendship or a hiring process where we're first getting to know people?
1: I don't know that there are any warning signs um, because most of what's taking place is both of you involved. So a lot of why you're drawn to that person is because of something in you. And that connection that you want, that they're not willing to give, is what's going to make you feel like a failure. So I don't know that there are any warning signs, because I have to tell you, if this is a charming destructive narcissist, Uh, Most people aren't immune to their charm and they don't see it at first. I don't know if this will help you at all, but it just occurred to me that one of the things Otto Kernberg said in his book was that even experienced therapists do not recognize someone with an NDP at first. So if experienced therapists don't recognize them. And he told a story about one that he had tried to treat and he didn't recognize it. And I'm thinking to myself as someone who is this warned and this experience can't recognize them at first, how are we supposed to do it? And the answer so far that I've come up with is that we're we're not gonna recognize them. There are no warning signs at first. Because you've got somebody who is outgoing, who is charming, who is capable. You don't see the destructive. Piece.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that that says a lot hearing hearing it from you. Because I think some of us, in, especially in, in the field of psychology, are you know why didn't I see that <laughs> right um, uh, walking into this? But I, it can be very subtle and very. Gradual, but I guess my question is how do we go about setting boundaries once these behaviors come out and obviously can really impact the people working with and for um, the the destructive narcissist, you know, person with those behaviors? (laughs) Um, How do we set those boundaries, Nina? I think it
1: takes a lot of self reflection because. And maybe even working with an experienced mental health professional to better understand yourself and how you got attached, how you got drawn to that person. And that in itself will help you learn to set boundaries, not only with that person, but with other people. You'll learn about your emotional susceptibility, you'll learn about your psychological boundaries. I mean, I can give you a real uh, quick technique when to, that you can use in interactions with someone who is infuriating, mean, and critical. In the moment, you could use what I call emotional insulation. And that is to visualize something between yourself and the other person that allows the words to get through, but not the feelings. And that can protect you from what the psychologists call projective identification, where they're projecting their negative feelings into you. You're incorporating them and making them your own and then acting on them. All of this is unconscious. So if you use emotional insulation, they can project that negativity into you. You will have to deal with your own negativity, but you won't have to deal with yours and theirs. And it can also help you maintain some emotional distance in interactions, so that you're less likely to be susceptible to their manipulations, bullying, coercion, seduction. It, It protects you in the moment.
0: Okay, so where can we learn more about this technique?
1: Actually, it's just what I told you. And uh, what I do with my students is I usually have them draw it. But I just ask them to visualize something between you and the other person or what you would call your emotional insulation. It can be a shame, It can be a It can be anything fog. (laughs) Just visualize something between you and the other person. Now you can do this in interactions. I mean, all you gotta do is just go to your head and visualize your emotional insulation. And so I usually have my students draw it because for some reason drawing it or describing it in detail helps to fix it in your mind better. And then you can use it whenever you want to.
0: I love that. And it's funny, I'm in the the office here where You know, it's set up as a counseling, coaching type of office. And during COVID, some offices got these screens and they were plastic see-through meant to shield out COVID and, you know, be six feet apart and all that. But I'm thinking of, I'm visualizing one of these big, tall plastic screens where you can see the person, you can hear them perfectly, but there's this barrier um, to protect your emotions, you know, your psychological well-being. Um yeah, so that's... So,
1: that's real simple and quick and easy to do. And nobody knows you're doing it, but you. And I like the idea of that uh, see-through barrier that we use for COVID. That's a nice one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that we don't have those up anymore. <laughs> and on that note, I want to thank you for part one um, of this conversation with you on handling narcissistic personality Um, types on the job, and uh, so many great nuggets of information and, and explanations that you provided us, uh, Dr. Nina, on this topic, and the behaviors, um, and the the process of of how these relationships can develop. And you may not be privy at first to seeing the signs, because um, the manipulation and The charisma and, you know, the front that comes across can really uh, hide the behaviors that come later. So that's what really stood out for me. And I'm going to uh, look forward to uh, releasing another episode with you in two weeks on healthy to destructive exploring narcissism in ourselves and others and talking a little more about work life wellness um, as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Nina, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today on Where Work Meets Life. I'm passionate about sharing insights from experts around the world on topics at the intersection of where work meets life. If you found this podcast useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. For more articles, information, and tips, sign up for my monthly newsletter at my website, drlaura.live. This podcast summary contains links to the psychology practice I founded. Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology, as well as my current employer, Humans, a nationwide organizational psychology firm focusing on culture and performance. Stay well.